the Lord. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your continued mercies to us. We'd ask that we would learn what your kingdom is about. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Last week we were in Galatians 5, and uh, as is my want in Galatians 5, I like to lean into it. Um, I'm a big believer in the new covenant. I'm a big believer in what Christianity actually is, and I'm a big non-believer in what Christianity actually isn't, if that made any sense at all. A lot of Christians, though, do believe in what Christianity isn't, and they have built entire ministries and views of the kingdom and written long and systematic theologies explaining to us why the way the apostle suggested in Galatians isn't the way we should think about it. And so, a lot of times, the, the rank and file, they don't, they don't know. They just get, you know, guys in a robe or guys in a jacket, stand up front, amplified voice, and they tell you what Christianity is supposed to do and be and how you're supposed to act, what the rules are. And uh, people are led astray into that kind of... Um, that kind of thinking by people who are representing um, the sinfulness of man or the sinfulness of small children. That we've got to stop being so sinful. And a lot of the problem is, and maybe you've run across this and it confuses you. Um, here's Evan just, you know, wailing like a banshee out of Galatians 5 about what the nature of our obedience to God is. And, uh, and someone else in another pulpit or in a Bible study you're in turns you to some passage of the Old Testament where it, makes, it's, it sounds like you got to do this. This is the, the law, you got to keep it. So you're confused. And then you look at the teachings of Jesus because Paul is a coherent clear philosopher of the new covenant and he lays it out in Romans and he lays it out in Galatians and he lays it out all over the landscape and if you believe he wrote Hebrews he laid it out in Hebrews too but people will go quote Jesus you've seen that with liberals too haven't you where they they don't like what St. Paul says well Jesus never said anything about homosexuality okay yeah that's true or cannibalism other than he was for it at one point. So sometimes people who are hearing about the new covenant or hearing their, they're, they're already Christians, which so soon they really actually pass from death to life. So they're in the new covenant, but they hear the teaching of the new covenant and they go, but is that really what the whole, you know, isn't that just Paul or are you just misinterpreting? What, what is Jesus? Jesus sounds like he's more you know, obey the rules sort of guy. Isaiah 29, here on the left side, verse 11. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, and saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it's sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. We have excuses. 
We have reasons our blindness is going on. Now, the reason I just pulled that passage out of Isaiah is not because it, it sounds like what I want it to sound like, but because it precedes the passage that is quoted in the passage we're covering. It is right before he says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote. That's the passage quoted by Christ in Mark 7. Um, I have been in this passage for a couple, three years. Uh, the, the synoptic quotation of it is Matthew 15, which I would think was in last year sometime, so not very long ago. So you, this may sound familiar in some aspects, but I'm stressing a, an aspect of this in keeping with last week's sermon. I want to know what our excuse is for not doing it the way the Lord said to do it. Not finding. We have all sorts of reasons not to read the book. You'll find every excuse in it. Well, it's sealed. I can't see it. Sealed. If you can't read, well, I can't read. So with that in mind, and this is a very this passage in Isaiah is a, is a very linked passage to the New Testament. Mark 7.1 Now when the Pharisees gathered together to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they purify themselves. And there are many other traditions which they observe, the washing of cups and pots and vessels of bronze. So, a little aside, a little parenthetical, saying, these people have a lot of, a lot of stuff to do. That are the maintenance of their religious position. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with hands defiled? Why are you not orthodox? Why don't you do it the way we've always done it? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites? Ow! I mean, we know as Christians in the political arena that the reason the liberals can run over you like a truck is because you've got it somewhere in your personal ethic that you always must not hurt their feelings. At one point, I think it's in the Matthew passage. Let me check real quick. Matthew 15. Yeah, it's in the Matthew passage. Uh, um, his disciples go, do you know that the scribes and the Pharisees were offended at you saying that? And it's basically a big whoop. That was the response to it. This is a moment where we find that the most insidious objection or conflict to the right heart before God is offered not by a man with uh, 
a, a transgendered homosexual swinging a bottle of vodka voting for Hillary. Which we'd like to think is the, you know, that's secularism, that's pagan. Going to public schools, cats and dogs living together. It's the most convincing, compelling people of your religion. These are the scribes and the Pharisees. All the Jews function this with the traditions of the elders, for heaven's sake. The traditions. There's a song about it, I think, in a Broadway show. I hate Broadway. And so did Jesus. <laughs> you have a fine way of rejecting the law of God for the sake of your tradition. What did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Then he quotes the Isaiah 29 passage. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. I want you to think about what they do and how we do it. We find that if we can make religion stand in the shadow of Christianity and take on all the terminology and the shape and the names, it's like fantasy football is what it is. You do know in fantasy football, no one plays football. Right? Is that correct? But all the names of real football players are involved. People can win real money. People can become famous playing imaginary football. Imaginary. And you realize that Christianity is run in this day and age in Protestant circles, evangelical circles, by people playing imaginary Christianity. They've got all the doctrines listed and they've got this religion standing right next to it, basking in its glow, taking all the credit developing all the ways of doing things, then fighting with other groups who have got a different way of doing things, basking in the glow of Christianity. All of them honoring Jesus Christ. Honor, you bet, Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Fully God, fully man. Well, I don't care what you want to say. They honor him with their lips. They make it into documents. And they sign those documents. They swear on those documents. But their heart is far from me because their religion is vain. Now, how do you know their religion is vain? One, he illustrates it or discusses it or says they're vain because they teach as doctrines the precepts of men. In Isaiah, it said, Their fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote. This is all inside of real Judaism. This is the deep walk club he's talking to. These are the guys that write the Bible study guides. This is our religion. It's not the threat of other religions. You are far more in danger of Christianity than you are of Mormonism. You're in danger of evangelical Christianity far more than you are of Roman Catholicism. Because we think of apologetics against the, the outsiders, right? We, 
Again, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a friend of mine who wrote a book called Roman Catholicism and the Evangelical Conscience, question and answer situation, it was very good. Easy to do, you have people who've got an apologetic ministry to the LDS church. We know what's wrong with the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know what's wrong with Christianity? Because the Pharisees were Jews. They weren't some other religion than Jesus. Our danger is to leave the commandment of God and hold fast to the tradition of men. So that Christendom becomes a godliness avoidance method. This is why, I think I mentioned it last week, this is why some of the leading, leading luminaries of the faith let you down. Suddenly they're found with a, someone not their spouse, hopefully of the same heterosexual inclinations. But it's not always so. This is why they end up stealing a lot of money. This is why they get power mad and rough up their congregations. Because they're teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And everybody in the pews is going, you bet boss, because they've been trained that the authorities of the religion are not the Holy Spirit in Christ, but the authorities of the religion is the pastor. Now, I'm right about everything I affirm. I, I don't know if I've told you that. But you may have, said, you might want to start jotting down what I said. Because at some point, you're going to want that handy guide to being correct. Now, that's what I think of my views. And I know, having met some of you, that uh, that's not the case in everybody's mindset. I, wouldn't it be nice if I tried to make you think, or made you think successfully, that what I um, thought was essential to Christianity. Now, you say, isn't that what you're doing this morning? Like trying to make us think that what you're saying is essential to Christianity? I'm telling you that's what it is. And I'd sure like it if you would decide whether or not that's what the passage of Scripture, that's what your Lord said. Your followers of Jesus Christ. Did the Lord say this? Not teaching my doctrines, but did the Lord say this? If he didn't, go, Evan, you just stepped into the same puddle you were accusing others of doing. Coming up with a, your own precepts that you then try to dress up in Jesus' language. Read it. You have a task of believing him, not a task of believing me. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother, let him surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, what you would gain from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition which you hand on, and many such things you do. I'm not going to discuss the actual illustration he brought up, because he says at the end, many such things we do. 
I, I always refer to the religious wars of the 1600s because, one, I like them because it's war. I abominate them because it was Christians. Well, no, not really. Everybody claiming to be Christians. But what was amazing about the religious wars of the 1600s in England is that they were both Protestants, both armies. You know church split has gotten to a, a point of concern when you are killing other Christians on the basis of your view of church government. Because Lord knows he wants you to be a Presbyterian. And on the other side, Lord knows that he wants you to be an Episcopalian. And they killed each other. Dead killed. Cannons going off. I think I've told you this before. I was reading in the letters of Oliver Cromwell. Um, he's writing a, 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 a dispatch back from the front. He's saying the, the parliamentary armies, of, I mean the, uh, the Scots armies, their, their cry, their battle cry is the covenant. And our, which sounds very... <laughs> Of course it was. <clears throat> and his battle cry was Lord of Hosts. He's writing this down. And if you had stopped Oliver on the street, said, you know, Mr. Cromwell, oh Lord Protector, may you live forever. <clears throat> Are those guys Christians? Are they going to heaven? You better say, certainly. Let's go kill them, <laughs> you know. Let's send them to heaven. You know, something's not right about this kind of Christianity. And I'm not saying oh, only when it becomes riotous and mean and killing. But that's an example of people not doing, being what they ought to be. On the basis of their religion trumping Jesus Christ. You know, probably in your own mind, what verses you have gone all liberal on. Because it doesn't fit your precepts of men, the traditions you live under. You know perfectly well that there are some things that are just American conservatism, and I'm an American conservative, that at some point don't agree with Jesus. Now you've got to pick. Many such things we do. And he called the people to him again. <clears throat> And said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. That was the actual passage I pulled out for the memorable verse. Hear me, all of you, and understand. All of that is, is no information in it other than listen to Jesus Christ, every one of us, and understand what Jesus Christ is saying. Do you know what he's teaching here? When he told you their heart was far from him, we sort of skimmed over that and were tempted to do what we warned you about last week in, a, in Galatians. To if you have circumcision be something and you realize, oh, it's not, then you make not circumcision be something. And he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any value. We don't make up for the wrong by creating another rule and tradition for the right. What we think is the right. Same is true with morality. It's not fornication is bad, therefore not fornicating is good. 
You say, isn't it? Well, watch yourself. So you mean I can, no, fornication's bad. But you don't say not fornicating is good? Yes. Because not fornicating, you shall not fornicate. And you're saying, as a parent, I wish he would stop saying fornicate. Okay, anger. Gets, gets, you, gets him. Anger is wrong. Controlling your anger, not disobeying in that regard. Is that righteousness? This is, this is, understandably, this is the mystery of Christianity hidden for ages that very hard, very hard, and the Christian church was split initially, and the Jews rejected Jesus Christ on this point, and a lot of the Christian Jews wandered off into falsehood because of this point, and you had disruption in the church because of this point, and you don't want to let this go. This is why... We come back to passages like this to remind you that Christianity deals with morality differently. When we have religion, and when we have a religion because we're Christians and we want to have our religion stand really close to Jesus, and I want my robes to be symbolic of things of the faith, so my chasuble has certain numbers of crosses on it, and has a certain length to represent certain aspects of the Trinity. I don't know if they do, but shouldn't we? We want to have everything in our religion be, and then if you do it long enough, there's an insistence on it. And you choose the tradition over the law of God. You choose the tradition over obeying God. And the reason you do is God is in charge of his commandments and you are in charge of the tradition. And guess what you choose? Tradition wins because we're into ourselves. We'd rather have a Christianity designed by us than the one designed by Christ and his apostles. But as we learned last week, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? We, we, we actually stop to have to hear with faith what God has said to us. Not design a religion that allows me to believe in me. Believe in my design. Now you say, Evan, don't you have to arrange things somewhat? You decided to put the pulpit in the middle. Yes, I did. It wasn't hard. But you know that at some point it would be good for some future pastor to move it like three quarters of the way over just so that the people who think, who, who lose the fellowship with Jesus Christ because of where the pulpit is. You might not have been in it ever been in a church like that. I have been in churches like that. Where pe people got angry with other believers, like talk about killing other believers. It could happen today. We just lack the armament. We act lack initiative. Wouldn't it be easier if we could just kill the Baptists? Take their building? Wouldn't it be easier if you could just, in a huff, because the pastor did something that was completely not in keeping with what we always did at All Souls, you could storm out and have to get counseling because of what happened to you. Your religion became the yes and the no, the good and the bad, your precepts, became doctrines to you. 
And then we train our kids to quote them back to us. Does that sound like a catechism at all? Learning by rote? Memorizing. But that's godliness. We're memorizing the truth. Their hearts are far from me. The hearts has to be, the, the actual end result has to be godliness, not religion. And you will find that religion, Christian religion, is against godliness. And it wants to replace godliness, and you will make your fame and your bones in Christianity if you are a difficult son of a whatnot against other, other brands of Christianity. When he says, in verse 14, hear me, all of you, and understand. Then he says, there is nothing outside of a man which by going into him can defile him. But the things which come out of a man are what defile him. Stop and think, you, you, you know he's teaching something spiritual, and so you, you got it, you're on it, you, you understand that pretty much. But that's actually a, an unclear statement, what he's doing, what he's saying. It's parabolic, I guess you would call it, parabolic. There's nothing outside that can defile you by coming in. What comes out of you is what defiles a man. That's actually kind of Zen, you know, sort of. Just put the word, oh, grasshopper, before it. <laughs> and a picture of the Dalai Lama, and post it on Facebook, and find all the Christians reacting against it, because what are you posting the Dalai Lama for? That's a quote of Christ. Oh! There is nothing outside of a man. And the parable, when it's explained, he lets you know, he entered the house, verse 17, and left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, as it lets you know, that they didn't get it. They thought of it as a parable. It's sort of a short, structured thing. He says, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever comes into a man from outside cannot defile him since it enters, not his heart, but his stomach, and so passes on? Thus he declared all foods clean. There are still Christians today arranging their food, not because of autoimmune responsibilities, but because of some sense of religion, as if it mattered to God, though the Christ declared all foods clean. Because if you don't understand this point, that, and apply it to just bro more broadly than food, because many such things they do, you've got to say, is this not an external religion trying to osmotically penetrate you? That you put your kids in enough youth programs, put them around enough good things, keep them from enough bad things, sing sing together, whatever it is. It's not what goes on on the outside seeping into you that's going to either make you good or make you bad. It's you. That's what it comes down to. Christianity is the realization you're the problem. And sometimes you're the problem because you're, a, you're immoral in your heart and so you go do immoral things. You devote your life to that. And sometimes the other option is being immoral in your heart. But being like Paul and loving the law of God and wanting to be holy so you 
trick out your religion, the true religion, mind you, not the Mormons, not the Catholics, evangelical Christianity, and you arrange it around yourself to try to make your kids and you better. And he says, no, you got to, it's what comes out of you. you. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. And he said, what comes out of a man is what defiles a man. And from within, out of the heart of man. You'll notice that back in the Isaiah, their heart is far from me. Verse 19, not his heart, but his stomach. And out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, fornication. There it is again, I'm sorry, but that was Jesus said it. Theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. You could just jump right into the Galatians 5 at the works of the flesh. Jesus makes a good list. We're concerned about what's, where the heart is. And the catechism and the law don't touch the heart. Paul bemoans that in Romans 7 when he says, I love the law of God with my inmost being, but I could not do it. He had a, with his mind he served the law of God, but with his flesh, the law of sin and death. It comes down to it. This is why the, 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 the law was there to increase the trespass, to point out sin, because it knew no matter what the law was and who wrote it, even if God wrote the law, you weren't going to do it. You can't do it until your heart is different, until your heart is not far from him, until what you do enters your heart. Now, there is a uh, Passages here on the left-hand side. I gave you the Galatians 3.5 about the hearing with faith. But I wanted to let you know about the rest of the Isaiah passage. The one up there says, we've got some excuses here why we're not living in the light and Jesus expects us to live in the light and we replace it with religion and religion becomes our excuse for not doing it and we become like the Jews, like the Pharisees, honoring with our lips hearts far from him. And then he says in verse 14, Therefore, this is the very next, that teaching the fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote, semicolon, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will again do marvelous things with this people, wonderful and marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hid. The people who think they know what Christianity is about and keep teaching you how to have Christianity seep into you and make you better rather than Jesus Christ taking you from darkness to light, from death to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's actually about. The church is there to try to convince you that religion is going to do this, but something marvelous and something wonderful has happened in the mystery that Christ has announced. It's the mystery of ages. Salvation by faith, the people's belief, hearing with faith. This is the, it's, not a, it's not a secret, nor is it, is, is it difficult. Do you listen to what this is 
And do you believe what this is? Or would you rather believe that if I like to be good and I want to be good in the Christian version, I better go to a church that gives me all the helpful tools of being Christian and good and and teaches me how to obey the rules. Because I want to obey the rules. Well, I hope you do. We want to please God. But you don't please God with religion. He gets rather upset with it. You have to please God with your heart changed. Now listen to this. In Corinthians 1, that last passage on the left-hand side, is he quotes the Isaiah 29 passage. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who is being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. He quotes Isaiah 29 in reference to how powerful the gospel is, that people who think they know what they're talking about, who clutter the landscapes of seminaries in heaps, and continually write more books, and continually speak of older dead guys who did the same thing centuries ago, we're looking for righteousness. We're looking for holiness. We're not looking for standing or uh, being impressive in the, in the kingdom that we have constructed. Because that kingdom will differ with God. Until you find, when you go out there into the big bad world, you graduate from college, go off somewhere, Wook, Iowa, which is where you generally move. And in Wook, Iowa, you're looking for a church. You look for someone whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ. You look for good, holy people. Not people who represent good, holy, but people who are good, holy. Because when people represent good, holy, they end up not being good and holy. Their traditions are all about good and holy, but they still are rat bastards. They're still mean to their wives. They're still awful fathers. They're still whatever else. You're looking for holiness. Jesus Christ, in his Holy Spirit, has allowed us to approach godliness by faith, by hearing with faith, by believing what we heard. And if you change your mindset from studying what all the saints have taught before in your tradition, whatever that is, and say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be wanting to know what is said so I can believe it. It's folly to those who are perishing. We don't want to be among the perishing. We don't want to say, well, Evan, what are you talking about? This, this sounds, again, a little bit too, you know, freeform. It's like jazz. Isn't there a book that Christians like to read a few years ago? Yeah. Blue like jazz. Shoot me now. That's a... Okay. I'm sorry I made that illustration. It's freeform like Calvin Ball. Make up the rules as you go. We want to have our heart direct our goodness. You say, well, Evan, that's not very strong there. You picked out heart in the Isaiah passage. Their heart is far from me. It doesn't enter their heart, but his stomach. Out of the heart of a man comes all this stuff. I think that's legitimate for me to suggest that your heart is what's got to be fixed. Okay? Whatever that heart means, it's got to be fixed. That's why I want to give you John 7, 37, on the last day of the feast. The great day. 
Jesus stood up and proclaimed. This is a standalone passage. It just does, doesn't connect with the previous, doesn't connect with the following. It's just a, a moment. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Okay? Out of his heart. We say out of his heart comes all goodness. All of his, out of his heart comes all badness. Seems like you fix the heart problem, you fix the moral problem. People don't need rules. They don't need to be watched over because you know they're actually bad inside and if you didn't have rules, they would be bad. Are you the kind of person that if there weren't rules, you'd be bad? Actually, I mean, really, honestly, if, you, if there weren't, are you saying, and if there were rules, would you be bad anyway? That's what most people are struggling with. They know that if there were no rules, they'd be bad. They know even with the rules, they're still bad. Well, it sounds like godliness is needed. It sounds like where God wants to take us is in his imperatives. The kind of being he wants you to be is fixed by you becoming fixed. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, out of your heart will flow springs of living water. What does that mean? Oh, thankfully, there's another verse. Now this he said about the Spirit which those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, what we said last week, Jesus taught that you had to have a heart changed by the Holy Spirit of God. You got your heart and you walked by that Spirit, you lived your morality by that. That who he was making you be, not the rules of all souls Christian. And we only have a few about potluck lines and so forth. But whatever church you go to, you're not, the, the people go, you're the godliest person I know. That's what you want to have people think of you because you have passed from death to life. The Spirit of God has changed your heart and living water flows from your heart and that's where all good, good godliness and all ungodliness come from. And that's what they got in Pentecost. And John lets you know that's what, what he's talking about. And we know from Paul that if you walk by the Spirit, you're, you have freedom. You're called to freedom, my brethren. To freedom, what? For freedom, Christ has set us free. We know that to walk by the Spirit has a certain look. To walk by the flesh has another look. We know that temptations are sure to come. We know that Christianity is filled with people who are doing it in many ways the wrong way. And you have to ask, why is religion, I mean, not only is it selfish and self-interested, but people can't imagine if we suddenly saw, what did he say last week in that passage on the works of those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God those who do such things you don't like that kind of verse because you're always struggling with how assured you are of your salvation um, you want to be sure this is all about your belief 
Don't think you can get in on this on some lazy belief of your parents. Some lazy belief. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I believe. I have my doubts. And we sort of, we sort of <coughs> make heroic the doubting Christian. You know, the doubting Christian. So, you know, I, I struggle with doubts and so forth. Well, excuse me, you could be damned eternally. I don't believe you could lose your salvation, but it sounds like you don't seem to be that interested in belief. Hearing with faith is the path to the Spirit, both in your conversion and in your walk with Jesus Christ. You need to stop and read the Word of God and say, I believe that. Go back and read Matthew 15, Mark 7, John 7, and say, I believe that. That's my God. He said that. I believe it. Do you? Do you believe in him? Do you believe in all of this? Do you believe this is the way to be good? People could be here this morning going, I don't think Evan's right on this point. God bless you. A lot of people think it's not right because it would make Christianity a lot smaller. Because we have a really big tent policy when we say, let's create religion in the shadow of the name of Jesus. That somehow creating old school religion, if we have Jesus' name correctly defined, attached to it, it's okay. We can, we can allow any kind of misbehavior of this kind in Christianity even though our God told us to knock it off. Our Christ told us this is awful. And he told us that Christianity is not built this way. You don't run it this way. The apostles got together and said, yep, that's exactly right. None of that nonsense. And then we proceeded for 2,000 years to live as if they hadn't said a word. We stopped hearing with faith. You've got to listen. Teach your way. Teach yourself through Galatians. Sit down with Galatians and go through it line by line and say, what is it saying? Do the same thing with Hebrews if you've been through Galatians too recently. What is he saying? And you're going to find that you're standing alone with the possibility of godliness in your life, but you won't look like the religion called Christianity. Because you will walk through a field and your disciples will accidentally harvest some grain on the Sabbath. You'll heal somebody on the Sabbath. You'll do something not in keeping with the elders or the traditions. God does destroy the wisdom of the wise. And yes, the people who care about these things will get offended. Did you know you offended the scribes and the Pharisees when you said these things? Yes. Part of the deal. It's the nature of the mystery of ages. We've got a different religion than everybody else. And not just different in who the God is. This is a different way of doing things. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Keep us thinking on these matters. Keep us believing you. Hearing with faith. Not trying to do and perform, create worlds in our church that will seep into our kids and our lives and make us good. Quoting things back that are true. We ask that you would change who we are. And that on our lips will be your son. And in his name we pray. Amen.